Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Today we are continuing in our Love This Book series. If you've not been with us as we've been going through this, we are journeying as an entire church body throughout the Old Testament. So we are looking at key stories of what God was doing in the Old Testament and looking at the greater theme surrounding it of God with us, Emmanuel. And as we are doing this, we actually have devotional guides for you. Uh, we have both an adult version and a student version. So if you have not gotten one of these, go ahead and grab one of these. They'll be in the lobby on your way out. Or if you have one and you're like, I have not been keeping up with it, that's okay, join the club. I'm with you. I got you. And they still ask me to preach. It's okay, see? I mean, hey, God doesn't come in. He doesn't look for a tally. He looks to see that you're walking with him, right? That's what God's looking for. And so if you have not been following along, where you're like, hey, I just heard about this, I was snowbirding because that's what I do, even though Pennsylvania really didn't get snow this year, Um, if that's what's been happening, grab one and jump in this week and start fresh with us. We would love to have you journey with us through the Love This Book series. This morning, we are picking up in the book of Exodus. Last week, Pastor George wrapped up all of Genesis, the story of Joseph for us, and he came to this conclusion where now Joseph has died. And now we're at a whole new time period, and that's where we're going to enter into the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we are told in the very beginning that something is radically different. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 and following, it says this. It says, a new king to whom Joseph now meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So from the time period of Joseph to now, there's been multiple generations that have come and gone. And so to this new pharaoh, when the name Joseph is mentioned, he goes, who? You see, back then they didn't have Google. He couldn't just type Joseph into his tablet, right? That's funny because he had a stone tablet, right? All right, fine, we'll get there, we'll get there. It's early, I get it, all right? Eight o'clock laugh, but that's okay. Um, But, so he can't consult his tablet, right? And so he's sitting there and he doesn't know who he is, and so to him it's like, big deal, big deal. And he realizes now there's a problem. You see, the nation of Israel, they came down to Egypt because Joseph was there and they never left. And actually, they were following God's command that he gave in the garden, which was to be fruitful and multiply. And they've done just that. They've grown so much so that Pharaoh has taken notice and he's like, this is a problem. They're beginning to outnumber us as native Egyptians and this isn't okay. We need to do something about this. And so Pharaoh actually comes up with a plan and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make them slaves. And he does just that. He, he takes slave masters, he puts them over them, he puts them in bondage, he makes them build cities for him to build towns, they harvest and plant the crops, they do all the menial tasks that nobody else wanted to do. But in that same time, God is still with them, and they continue to multiply. And Pharaoh goes, okay, this is a big deal. We tried one way, it didn't work, he goes, we're going to try another. We're going to try population control. And so Pharaoh enacts this new law, and he says, here's what you have to do. Whenever a Hebrew baby boy is born, throw him into the Nile and let him die. Because in Pharaoh's mind, he goes, look, he goes, if there's no baby boys and only baby girls, they cannot continue to populate 
Therefore, they will eventually die out, and we have eradicated the threat. And that's his plan. And this is the time period when Moses is born. Even before he is born, the life that he's going to enter into is tumultuous at best. And so Moses ends up being born into a Hebrew family. And his mom looks at him and she's like, wow, this, this baby's awesome. I'm so thankful. Like, this, this is a very special baby boy. And so she starts to raise him. She's like, I'm not going to put him in, I'm not going to throw him in the Nile. I'm not going to do that. But the problem arises, right? And we all know this. As we get older, we get louder, right? I mean, it's just, it's a nature of development, right? So as the baby grows, as his lungs develop, so does his voice and his articulation. And he just loves to make noise. And Moses' mom is like, what are we going to do? We can't. If we keep him, they'll find out and they'll kill him. And she goes, here's what we need to do. We need to trust God. And she goes, we're going to trust him in his sovereignty to be in control of everything. And so she takes a basket and she puts her baby boy in the basket. She covers him up. And she goes down to the river with her daughter. And she says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put him in the river. I want you to watch over him, though. I want you to see what happens. And so at this point, Moses' mom goes back to her home because she just can't bear to see what happens because she's losing her son. And at this point, it's really, really interesting. Because if you've ever read the Bible and you're like, man, this thing is dry, there's no humor in it, let me encourage you to try again. Okay? Because I truly believe that throughout Scripture, God is a God of humor, and he loves to laugh, he loves to have fun. And what happens now is Moses is down in the river, his sister's watching. And at this point, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, comes out of the palace to the river to bathe. And of course she's got her entourage, and so she's just kind of like, you know, doing her thing. And she gets down there, and she's like, well, that's weird. There's a basket in the river. And she tells one of her people, hey, go get that basket. Bring the basket to me and open it up. I'm going, you don't know what's in the basket. You're, you're crazy. I mean, it could have been snakes. You don't know, and we'll see that later, right? And so she goes and she opens the basket, and inside is Moses. And at this point, his sister, his sister Miriam comes running out of the bushes, and she's like, hang on. Are you looking for somebody to take care of the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter's like, well, yeah. She's like, that'd be great to have somebody who could take care of him while he's young, you know, handle all the messy stuff, and I'll take care of him when he's older. I'll adopt him into my family. And so Miriam's like, hang on, I got you. And she goes and gets her mom, Moses' mom, right? Brings her back, goes, look, here's this random baby you get to take care of now. And so Moses actually gets raised by his birth mom. And so at that point, he gets raised, he becomes like a little boy and everything. And then he gets taken over to the palace. Now pause for a moment and think. Pharaoh's daughter is the princess of Egypt. Making Moses a prince of Egypt. As a Hebrew... The very people that Pharaoh tried to extinguish is now in direct line to his throne. And we think God doesn't laugh, right? God's like stupid humans. (laughs) You have no idea, right? And so at this point, Moses is now a Hebrew and an Egyptian. And not just an Egyptian, but royalty. And so Moses grows and he develops. He starts kind of getting into the way of life and trying to figure out who he is. And one day he's out walking around. And he comes upon an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew. And so Moses intervenes. He's like, stop, stop, stop. And in that moment, he ends up killing the Egyptian. He panics. He looks around. He's like, did anybody see this? What happened? What happened? And he goes, okay, good. Nobody's here. And so he kind of hides the body a little bit, hopes nobody knows what's going on. And at that point, 
he heads back to the palace. The next day, he's out walking around, and he sees two Hebrews now fighting. And he goes, guys, can't we all just get along? We're brothers. Like, we should be doing this thing together, not fighting with each other. And the one guy looks at him and goes, why, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moses is like, oh, that's bad. They know what I did. I'm going, really, you killed a dude. You don't think anybody knew? Right? Like, he just doesn't show up when he goes home. Right? And at this point, Moses is like freaking out because he's like, I, I got to get out of here. And word gets back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, you did what? Now we have to put you to death because you broke a law and you killed somebody. And so Moses heads out of Egypt. He runs. He leaves everything behind. Both families, the Egyptian and the Hebrew. And he runs, and he gets to a foreign country called Midian. And while he's in Midian, he ends up meeting a young lady who is a daughter to a priest of Midian. Not a priest of God, a priest of Midian. He ends up falling in love, and he asks her dad for her hand in marriage. Her dad says, yeah, go ahead, that'd be awesome. And now Moses, with no family, no cultural identity, no background, and nothing to his name, is now living in his father-in-law's home, taking care of his father-in-law's property. He went from being a prince of Egypt to having to live in his father-in-law's home and serve him. And this is where we pick up Moses' story. This is where God dramatically steps in to the story of Moses. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. We'll be in parts of Exodus 3 this morning as well as Exodus 4. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have an app with you, don't worry, we'll have it on the screen as well. But follow along with me as we look at Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see what this strange sight is, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses is out doing his thing, right? He's taking care of the flock, sheep, camels, whatever you want to think. He's out there taking care of it, right? And at this point, he looks out and he sees a, a shrub, a bush, that's on fire. And I think for most of us, we're going, how come you didn't get this sooner, dude? Like, it's a bush that's not going out. Clearly something weird is happening, right? But what we need to understand is in this period of time where Moses is in Midian, he's not in the lush tropical paradise that is Hershey PA, right? He is in a dry and arid desert where the temperatures get excruciatingly hot. And so what would happen is that these shrubs, these bushes would dry out. They would become so brittle that at any moment they could just spontaneously combust. And so seeing a bush that would just combust was not uncommon. The uncommon piece was the fact that it didn't go out, right? Because everybody knows in order for a fire to continue, it needs fuel. If it burned up all the fuel, it would go out. 
So Moses is not interested in the fact that, like, this bush is on fire. He's interested that it's not going out. And so, like, any teenage boy, he's like, I'm going to go play with the fire, right? And so he runs over there, and he's kind of like, hey, what's up? And I don't know why he started talking to the bush, but he did. And now God starts talking to him, right? But here's the thing. Moses didn't go to the bush because he knew God was in the bush. He went because he's like, oh, look, fire. That's what he went for. So here's what we need to understand about Moses. Moses couldn't see the extraordinary. He couldn't see the extraordinary where God showed up in his everyday, ordinary life. Moses didn't see the extraordinary that was right in front of him. He didn't see the extraordinary when God showed up. All he saw was, ooh, fire. That's what he saw. But what God was doing is God's going, come here, I'm going to radically alter your life. I'm going to show up in your ordinary life and show you the extraordinary God. But Moses couldn't see that. He couldn't see the extraordinary. And I think it's easy for us sometimes from the outside looking in to go, how could you not? Really, dude, the, the bush is on fire, like, and it's not going out. When somebody's talking to you, how can you not see the extraordinary? But pause for a moment and ask yourself, have you been there? H- have there been moments in your life where you haven't seen the extraordinary? Maybe we, we just kind of chalk it up to coincidence, right? You ever wonder why that person comes into your office eight times a day and you just can't get any work done? You ever wonder why it's always the same couple of baristas at Starbucks every time you go? Yeah, they get paid to work there. We know that. But, right, have you ever wondered why it continues to happen? Or maybe why God continues to bring people or thoughts or prayer requests to your mind? Or places things on your heart and you're like, wow, that was weird. See, what we need to be doing is we need to understand that Moses isn't alone in this. That for many of us, we also walk through this. And so let me ask you this. What is God using to grab your attention? What is God using to grab your attention? What are we so quick sometimes to dismiss as ordinary? But if we just step back for a moment, we see that the extraordinary God is putting a seemingly ordinary moment into our lives to radically alter what is going to take place. What is God using to grab your attention? Moses, you would think at this point, would would hopefully understand, right? You would think, man, he has to understand. Like, God just said, I am God, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am your God. You would think at this point Moses would get it, right? And he'd be like, okay, what is God using to grab my attention? Clearly a bush on fire, right? But no. If we continue on in Moses' story, if we pick up in, Moses, or in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and following, we read this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said to him, I'll be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, Okay, but what's his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, you tell them, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's interesting. When you read this passage, Moses begins with a question. Who 
am I? And when you think about it, that's actually a very profound question to ask. If you're truly asking that about yourself, like, who am I? Why would you ask me? And God's response is, I am who I am. I don't think God just kind of like let that word roll off his tongue. I don't think that, I think this was very intentional in this moment. And what we need to understand here is Moses is looking at God and going, do do you have any idea who I am? Like, I I don't even know who I am. I was a Hebrew, then I was an Egyptian, then I got run out, now I'm living as a foreigner. Like, I don't have a family. I can't go back because they'll try to kill me. Like, who am I? And God goes, hang on one second. Understand who I am. And that word I am in the Hebrew is actually Yahweh. If we were to transliterate that into English, it's actually Y-H-W-H. The Hebrew language actually doesn't use vowels. And so it's Yahweh. And this actually became the name of God that Jews revered the most and actually would not even say because of the power that it held. And what we miss in the English translation of that word is this, is that I am is not just in this moment, I am God. What God is saying to Moses is, I was, I am, I will forever will be. Because if you remember back in the beginning part of chapter 3, he goes, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes, I was there. I was with them. I am here with you now, and I will be with you when you go to Egypt. I will be with you beyond. I will be with you even past that. And in fact, I will be for all of time. He's saying very clearly, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the creator of this world. I am sovereign in control, and I will rescue each and every one of you from your sin and your, your desperation. But even in that, Moses goes, yeah, but what if they ask me? You see, Moses, all, all he could hear in this moment was his past. All he could understand was who he was. And so what Moses continued to do in this moment is offer up excuses when God called him. All Moses could do in this point in his life was offer up excuses. Who am I? What if they ask me questions I don't know how to answer? And I think it's easy, again, for us to, to, to go, Moses, what are you thinking? From the outside looking, we're like, do you, you realize you're talking to a bush right now, right? Like, and you're going to question everything else? Like, what is going on with you? Like, clearly this is God. Clearly you should just listen and shut up and do what he tells you, right? But how often do we offer up excuses when we know what God is calling us to? How often do we find ourselves in that exact same place? I, I, I don't think I can love that person. I can't love them because of what they've done. Even though we know the Bible tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Or we go, you know what, I, I, I can't. I, I'm not a missionary. I don't, I don't have the gift of teaching. I, don't, I, 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 I can't. I can't. I can't reach people. That's not my gifting. Like, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know how, what if I forget the Bible verses when I'm trying to lead somebody down the Romans road and I forget where Romans is, right? And all that we have to remember, though, is exactly what God said. He didn't give a qualifier. He simply said, go and make disciples. He never said, get it perfect. He never said, memorize everything and have it ready to go, have a cute little handout and know everything. 
In fact, share it with them in Greek. He never said that. God simply said, go, and I will empower you to reach the world. But how often do we offer up those excuses? And so what I think we need to do is to pause and actually ask ourselves this. What is stopping me from responding? What is stopping me from responding to what God is calling me to? Is it fear? Just like Moses. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say, God. Like, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? Do you feel inadequate? I don't have the education. I, 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 I don't know how to lay this out. Do you fear maybe what people will think of you? Man, what if I did share with my barista, like, would they, would they spit my coffee? Like, it, what, what is stopping us from responding to what God is calling us to? This is a heavy question. Because it forces us to look deep within our hearts to understand why we are fearful. What is keeping us from engaging with God's story. Again, you would think at this point Moses would have gotten it, right? I am who I am. I will be with you. You would think at this point Moses would stop offering up excuses, right? Not so. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. It says this. But Moses answered God. He said, what if they don't believe me, God? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, hey, what's that in your hand? Moses goes, it's a staff. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran away from it. And then the Lord said, hey, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, and he took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. It's interesting, isn't it? This interaction. Moses starts off, and, and I love how he starts off. He says, what if? You ever have one of those moments? But God? But God, what if? But God, you don't understand. But God, this is the circumstance, right? And that's what Moses does here. He goes, but God, hang on. Back up a second. But what God, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And God goes, all right, dude, what you got in your hand? And Moses is like, I got, I got a stick, right? He picked up a staff at some point, a stick, and he used it. And now he walks with it, uses it to take care of his sheep. And God goes, all right, throw it on the ground. Watch this. And I can only see God. Like, and I, again, this is where I think God has a great sense of humor going, he has no idea. He's got no idea. Throw it on the ground. And God turns into a snake. And Moses does what every human being should do when you see a snake. He hightails it, right? He runs like the snake's coming after him to kill him. That's what you do. Do not play with the thing. Do not touch the thing. Like if I was in Moses' shoes, I would have been back home, door locked, up on my dresser. All right, just being real. Like I don't do that. Mm-mm. And like God's like, hey, Moses, it's cool. Come touch the tail. Pick it up. I'm going, uh-uh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I was like, I'm picking up a shovel. And I'm going to take that head off that snake. Then we'll see if it's still stick. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right? And Moses is like, okay. Really? Like, this is the same dude who's like, um, who do I tell him that sent me God? And he's like, okay, I'll pick up the snake. So he's beginning to trust a little bit, right? So he reaches down, picks it up, and turns back into a staff. And God's like, bada bing, bada boom. Throw that down. And then you get to say, look, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, that's who I am. That's why I'm here. But as the story goes on, actually, 
in the next couple of verses, Moses asks another but what God, or a, a but question to God, right? And he's like, but God, and God gives him another sign. He gives him another sign. He goes, okay, here's what's up, okay? He says, God, pardon your servant. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And God said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Isn't not I the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, um, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. It's a really intriguing moment. Because it's not just that God had taken the staff and turned it into a snake and put it back to a staff. He gave Moses another sign as well. He had Moses put his hand into his cloak, and then when he pulled it out, it was leprous. And as Moses is looking at it, God goes, hey, wait a second, put it back in your cloak and take it out one more time, and it'll be clean. And it was. God gave Moses multiple, multiple signs. But notice what he says right here. But God, I've never been eloquent. Now, first of all, if you're going to say I've never been eloquent, and you use the word eloquent in a sentence, you're a liar, all right? Like my man right here, he's like, I've never been, I've never been eloquent. And it's like, I don't know how to spell that. And you're using that in a sentence correctly. Like, way to go. Um, but he's like, look, I've never been eloquent. I, you know, even since, before I met you, and since we've been talking, clearly I can't do well at the whole talky to you thingy, right? I'm like, dude, you're doing pretty good right now. You're just digging yourself into a hole. And he goes, look, I'm slow with speech and tongue. Like, I'm not good at this. And God goes, stop. Just stop. Do you know who I am? I made you. I put you together. I crafted you. I designed you. I give everybody their eyes. I give them their mouths. Who do you think empowers them to speak? It's me. I will be with you. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And Moses goes, yeah, but God, please send somebody else. Please send somebody else. And it's easy, I think, again, from, from, from our perspective to go, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, like God, just, God, God just turned your, your staff into a snake and back to a staff. He, he, he made you lepers and then made you clean. And, and, and he's given you all the resources. And you're going, send somebody else. What we learn about Moses is this. He wasn't listening when God was speaking. Do you ever have one of those moments? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you're talking to your, your, your kids, right? And you're, you're, you're putting like divine influence into their lives. You're just articulating straight from God into their lives. And they're just, what's for dessert, right? We know that feeling, right? But here's the thing. Moses at this point is struggling with his own inadequacies. He's struggling with the lack of identity and going, it can't be me. Regardless of God calling him. Regardless of God saying, Moses, I want you to be my guy. He wasn't listening when God was speaking. But you know the interesting thing about the story of Moses? God still used him. God uses him to bring his people out of Egypt. 
to save them from bondage. God uses him to give the law in the Old Testament to the Hebrews. In fact, without Moses, we would not have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. God used that dude to give us his word. But Moses wasn't listening when God was speaking. And eventually Moses finally says, okay, God, I'll do it, I'll do it. But if he had it, we wouldn't know anything about him. He wouldn't have been a part of that story. And I think for us, we need to understand something. That if we are not listening and responding to God, we are missing something. So what are you missing if you're not listening and responding to God? What are you missing? Arguably, you're missing this. You're missing being a part of God's greater story. You're missing the, 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 the moment when people say, I want to follow Jesus too. You're missing the church growing. You're missing the reality of people coming to a radical understanding of who God is and what that means for their life. You're missing out on the community that we are meant to be a part of. You see, we aren't, come to be peop- we aren't called to be people who just come and see. We are called to go and be. That's why we have Live, Love, Lead around our sanctuary. We are to go out and be a part of God's story. We are to step in and take part and show people who Jesus is in the d- dynamic way that he changes our lives. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're not called to offer excuses. We are called to be active participants of the grace that God has given to us. We are called to be ambassadors, just like Moses. To go and lead people, to show them who Jesus is. But I think so often we fall into this trap that Moses finds himself in. And realistically, when we say, but God, what we are saying is, never you're saying, never God. And if you've missed everything that I've said this morning, and you're just now maybe waking up, here's what I would encourage you to hear. Never say never to God. Be willing to see what he sees. To go where he sends you and to trust in the power of the great I am. You see, if, if Moses had simply stepped back for a, a moment, and instead of saying, pardon me, But God, I'm inadequate. If he had simply said, okay, God, send me. It would have gone a lot smoother. A lot of things down the road in his life would have looked a lot different. And I think sometimes for us, we say never to God. God, I could never do that. God, I could never lead a small group. God, I could never speak at a Sunday school class. God, I could never witness to somebody because I I don't know how. God, I could never... And we may never actually, there we go, see? We may not actually say it verbally. We may never articulate it. But within our hearts, we have said that to ourselves. And let me tell you something. When you say never to God, get ready for his humor to show up. Because he will move you to exactly where you said I would never go. In fact, I want to share with you a couple stories from my life. And I'll be real honest, this is going to make me sound like a bad pastor. I've said never to God quite a few times in my life. At at one point, I actually said I'd never be a pastor. Go figure. Um, Real sense of humor, and here I stand. Um, But there was another time when I was in college. 
um, I went to school in Chicago, and on the side, I worked for a fitness company, which clearly you can see from my six-pack, right? Um, and I know, we all laugh, thank you. Um, and so I had to go out to Des Moines, Iowa for a fitness expo. And we were selling our, our, the tools that we had and everything. And on the way home, I'm driving down Highway 80. And I had gotten a rental car. I was about 23, 24 years old. And I don't know what this rental agent was thinking, but they gave me a brand-new Chrysler 300 with a Hemi. Thank you. Yeah, now you know. And so in my mind, I'm going, I want to get back home to school as soon as possible. So I'm driving down Highway 80, going at a good clip. And I get that, you know, lights in the back of your mirror type of thing. Pull over, and it's a trooper. Knocks on window. Sir, you know how fast you're going? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. And he goes, well, I have enough to take your license for good and to put you in jail. Oh, that fast. He goes, where are you going? I was like, I'm going back to a Bible college to learn about how to spread the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I totally pulled the pastor, the Christian card. I was like, divine intervention, right? And he looked at me, he goes, for real? I was like, yes. Jesus told me I shouldn't lie, so yes, right? And he looks at me, and, and truly God was in this, because he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to never come back to Iowa. I'm going to write you a ticket for only 10 over. No points, no nothing. Don't ever come back to my state. I looked at him, I said, why would I? I don't want to. I will never come back. God bless you. I will pray for you. I'm out, right? I swore to myself I would never return to Iowa. Should have learned. Because here's what happened. Fast forward about eight years, and all of a sudden, I'm moving to Iowa to get married. Right? Elise is out living in Iowa, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is funny. And then God goes, hey, guess what? You're also going to become a pastor in Iowa. <laughs> right? We ended up moving to Iowa City, Iowa. This is at Kinnick Stadium where the Iowa Hawkeyes from the University of Iowa play in the capital of Iowa. You cannot get more Iowan than this, folks. And God's going, <laughs> puny human, right? And like, uh, like, seriously, and we were there, and it was a great time. But there was another moment in my life where I had said never to God. It actually starts before that. You see, I'm a Jersey boy, born and raised. And I, I, whatever reason, I don't know why we are this way, and I am repenting of it daily. New Jersey people are just very arrogant and, co and cocky and think that New Jersey is the best thing ever. They're like, man, Jersey pride, right? The slogan is, we pump our fists, not our gas, right? It's like, what is wrong with us? It's just how we are, okay? And we would, we would always talk about how we were the best thing ever because everybody's like, blow up New Jersey, give the other states a shore. And we're like, no, blow up the rest of the U.S. And we're like, what is wrong with us? And I swore, my family lives just about 15 minutes from the border with Pennsylvania. I swore because I was like, there is nothing in Pennsylvania that New Jersey doesn't have within a five-minute radius. Right? We have the beach. We don't talk about like the Jersey Shore, but we have the beach. Right? We have everything you could ever want. And I, I remember in my high school and college years saying, I will never ever move to Pennsylvania. I know the irony does not like, does not like miss right here, right? And what happened is immediately after being in Iowa, God goes, now guess where you're going, right? And this was taken just about a year ago when my parents came out with my niece and we took them to the most Hershey place on earth, right? Chocolate World in Hershey, Pennsylvania with the big old giant candy bars behind us, right? 
When we say never to God, God goes, just watch. I've learned now, my never is God, I will never live in the Caribbean and have lots of money, right? <laughs> it's only taken like 34 years, but I'm there, okay? Now here's the thing though. Here's the thing. We serve the I am. We serve the greatest power in this world, in this universe. We serve the one and only true God who looks at our inabilities and goes, they don't matter. He looks at our past and he goes, that doesn't matter. He looks at where we are at and he goes, that doesn't matter because I am with you, period. I will empower you. I will give you what you need and I will send you. The, the question we have to ask ourselves, though, is are you willing? Are you willing to be used by and for God to impact this world? Are you willing to trust in the great power of the I am and to go where he sends you to see what he sees and to be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven? God doesn't call us to a life of complacency. He calls us to a life of action and fulfillment to reach this world and to show them that same power. Will you join us as we do that? Let me pray for us. Father God, we are so thankful that we do serve the great I am. That we serve the God who sees. That we serve the God who knows. Thank you that even in our inadequacies, you use us. Thank you that even in our brokenness, you called us. Thank you that we get to be a part of your perfect plan as broken people. Father, use us to reach our communities, our coworkers, our spheres of influence. May we be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven each and every day. And we pray this in your name. Amen.